Welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues, back again with another lovely thick slice of rock nostalgia. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 571, November 11th, 1995, £1.50. Pence. The um, copy of Kerrang! that we're looking at this week has two cover stars. Generation Terrorists, Fear Factory's Burton C. Bell, Interviews Ozzy Osbourne. In case you can't tell, the picture on the front is of Burton C. Bell and Ozzy Osbourne. Win a trip to America with Silverchair. Bon Jovi, John's nude film shocker. Nirvana box set reviewed. Ministry drug busts. Filthy pigs and the new album. Four posters. Chili Peppers. Ash. Uh, Alice in Chains. ACDC. Artwork. I think what they mean to say there is there are four posters with artwork from Chili Peppers, Ash, Alice in Chains and ACDC. It's not very good. Uh, it's not very good copy, is it, Kerrang? Jesus. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang Back Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram Kerrang Back Issues, Twitter Kerrang Pod, and email Kerrang Back Issues at gmail.com. If you are new to this podcast, then welcome. Um, the whole point of this podcast is that each week we take a copy of Kerrang that was out this week, but in 1995, and. Um, just go through it basically I pull out all the best bits all of the interesting bits all of the poignant bits mostly try and pulling out the funny bits although it seems like in 94 I felt like there was a lot more funnier stuff going on I felt like there was uh, funnier letters and uh, funnier personal ads 1995 in the comedy stakes has been a bit of a letdown oh in 1994 we had a Gary Glitter live review as well so you know that wasn't funny of course that was just really 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 awkward and weird but yeah, 1995, it's been a great year for music, but not so great for the laughs. Anyway, let's see what this week's issue has in store for us. As I mentioned last week and the week before in this uh, new layout of Kerrang, there is no longer a word from the editor, but what there is, is a small bit in the front that says, this issue was created with the following stimulants. Those stimulants are a transatlantic phone call from Def Leppard's Joe Elliott, an Alice in Chains comedy red nose, a New York City snowstorm, one of those little seen things that you shake and snow flies everywhere, the start of Star Trek Voyager, the new Truly album, the fluffy Velvet on Therapy's limited edition Diane single. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. News. Ministry bassist techno wizard Paul Barker has revealed that he and frontman Al Jorgensen had a massive breakup during the making of the new album Filth Peak. The pair didn't speak for two of the 18 months that the album took to create in Chicago. Basically, Al drove me mad, explains Barker. Part of the problem was that our frustrations became enormous and we started going at the album in different directions. We just couldn't work together due to personal stuff that I really don't want to talk about. None of that shit is anybody else's business. It was a two month cooling out period after that. We didn't talk to each other at all, but we're a lot happier as a result. We've been doing this for so long that it's like a marriage. But the cool thing about growing apart is that if you can still work together, your different influences become a part of the creative process. After reuniting, says Barker, 
The pair work furiously. The result is an album which he describes as the best thing Ministry have made since 1988's The Land of Rape and Honey. ACDC will tour the UK next June. The Hard Rock Superstars have confirmed the following dates. Glasgow, SC&CC June 1st, 1996. Aberdeen Exhibition and Conference Centre 2nd, Newcastle Arena 3rd, Birmingham NEC Arena 17th, Manchester Arena 19th, London Wembley Arena 21st and 22nd. Tickets for all shows priced £17.50 and £15 go on sale on Friday, November 10th from the respective venues and all the usual outlets. It's also likely that more dates will be added to the itinerary. Noticeable act for the tour has yet been announced. The band kick off their world tour in the US where the Ball Breaker album is proven to be a huge success in Greensboro, North Carolina on January the 12th, 1996. ACDC have also emerged as the hot favourites to headline next year's Donington Festival. The European tour is scheduled to end in Lisbon, Portugal on July the 6th, increasing speculation that they will then play a series of major outdoor shows through the summer. Metallica have pulled out of a planned headlining appearance at the Hollywood Rocks Festival in Brazil in January due to recording commitments. As revealed in Kerrang! on November 4th, they were due to top the bill at one of the Hollywood Rocks Festivals, which takes place in mid-January. However, they are under pressure to finish their eagerly awaited new album before making any live appearances. Metallica's withdrawal has thrown the event into a state of confusion. White Zombie, who were due to appear on the same day as Metallica, have also pulled out while Offspring are apparently on the verge of turning down an offer to play. More news as it breaks. Rage Against the Machine are being strongly tipped to headline one of the nights at the 1996 Glastonbury Festival which will take place next June. The band looks certain to play one of the UK's major outdoor shows next summer and Glastonbury is apparently their preferred choice. The band previously played the festival in 1994. Radiance Machine will play Australia's Big Day Out Festival in January 96. Joining the build will also include Porn Over Pyros, Rancid, Jesus Lizard and possibly Monster Magnet. Radiance Machine's eagerly awaited second album is due for release in early 96 on Epic. The quartet recently completed recording work with Brendan O'Brien in Los Angeles. They are currently mixing the as yet untitled LP in Atlanta, Georgia. Foo Fighters main man Dave Grohl has hit back at critics who've attacked the cover artwork on his band's debut album, which features a toy gun for being tasteless in the wake of his former colleague Kurt Cobain's suicide. Grohl told Rolling Stone magazine, To me, it's a toy. It has nothing to do with anything. I love kitschy 40s and 50s space toys. I thought it would be a nice plain cover, nothing fancy. Then I thought I'd catch so much flack, but everybody said it would be okay if I made sure everyone knew it was just a toy. People have read so much into it. Give me a fucking break. Grohl also revealed that he did consider asking his other ex-Nirvana bandmate uh, bassist Chris Novoselic to join him in Foo Fighters. For Chris and I, it would have felt really natural and really great, he said. But for everyone else, it would have been weird and it would have left me in a bad position. Then I really would have been under the microscope. Smashing Pumpkins' first US gig of the year was interrupted when the power supply to the building they were playing in burst into flames. The band were playing a special hometown show at Chicago's Riviera Theatre on October 22nd, which was broadcast around the world to coincide with the release of their new double album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. They were two songs into their set when the power died. Bassist Darcy informed the radio listeners in Europe, North America, Asia and the former Soviet Union. Apparently, the power from the building just went up in flames, so we don't really know what to do. We're standing here, people are throwing stuff at us. In about two minutes here, people are going to start rushing the stage and we will probably be dead. 
She was interrupted when the uh, global broadcast cut to start playing tracks from the Melancholy albums. After a 20-minute delay, the concert resumed. We weren't playing that good to start off anyway, Billy Corgan told the audience. We're not going to have any fucking lights, but we don't fucking care. We'll play as long as they want us to. The Pumpkins proceeded to play a two and a quarter hour set. The band are expected to tour the UK early in the new year. Courtney Love, members of Red Hot Chili Peppers and White Zombie, NoFX and L7 are among the acts who will contribute to an all-star tribute album to LA punk legend The Germs. Entitled A Small Circle of Friends, a tribute to The Germs, the album will be released through leading New York indie label Grass Records in February 1996. The Germs, who included Nirvana Foo Fighters guitarist Pat Smear in their ranks, were regarded as key players in the development of US hardcore. Their influence is reflected in the high-caliber US underground cast who have agreed to appear on the album. A small circle of friends will feature a host of artists performing Germs covers. The lineup includes contributions from Love, L7, Chili Peppers' bassist Flea, Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon and First and More, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, Mud Honey, The Melvins, Meat Puppets, Degeneration, Pat Smear himself and the Zombie All-Stars. The latter group are composed of White Zombie's uh, bassist Sean Uzil and guitarist Jay, Chili Peppers' guitarist Dave Navarro, former Circle Jack singer Keith Morris and ex-obsessed drummer Greg Rogers. Their contribution, a cover of Land of Treason, was recorded in LA's tiny sandbox studios. L7's track, meanwhile, is a version of Lion's Share. Two further top-secret high-profile bands are expected to confirm their involvement in the album in the very near future. Pitchifter, the Nottingham Industrial Band, are inviting anyone and everyone to steal samples from their new album. In the unprecedented step, the final track on the forthcoming infotainment album will be a collection of guitar riffs, vocals and noises with an open invitation for other bands to incorporate them into their own material. We won't sue anyone, promises their frontman J.S. Clayton, as long as people send us what they've done with it. Everyone goes on about the information highway and the freedom network, but no one actually does it. So we thought we'd put our money where our mouth is. We're always nicking everyone else's stuff, so let's let them nick ours. Produced by renowned slave master Simon Ephemy, Infotainment is due for release through Earache in March. Track titles include Virus, We're Behaving Like Insects, Blood Sweat Saliva, Underachiever, Whiteout, Hangar 18 and Product Placement. The guitars are massive, Clayton infuses. The vocals are going to be more tuneful, although still rough. There's also more grooves and some techno bass tunes too. Next up in this week's Kerrang! we have American news, starting this week with Don Kay in New York. Hanging around at the Machine Head show last weekend, about the only gig worth going to except for Page Plant which was sold out, bits of news began to float to the surface. Warrior Soul frontman Corey Clark was spotted and although we didn't talk with him, we have it on good authority that he has parted company with the entire current lineup of his band. Corey is also set to pursue a solo project. Also at the show were the omnipresent Biohazard boys Evan Seinfeld and Billy Graziade. Evan informed us that the band were writing furiously. Lots of three minute songs to be exact. They're trying to confirm a producer so work can begin, possibly at Malibu Ranch in California where Sepultura are making their new album. Speaking of Sepultura, we hear that their guitarist Andreas Kisser recently played on a demo tape from the supergroup in the making. Check this out. Metallica's Jason Newstead, Machine Head main man Rob Flynn, 
Kissa and the ex-Exodus drummer Tom Hunting all jamming together. The mind boggles at the possibilities, but the tape is a heavily guarded secret. Anne Rice, the best-selling author of Interview with a Vampire and five other books about the bloodsucker Lestat, was celebrated by her fans at a convention in her hometown, New Orleans, this week. Tom Cruise and Kirsten Dunst, who both appear in the interview movie, both turned up in full costume. Also in attendance was Courtney Love, who is apparently looking for new digs in the Big Easy, and a host of metal industry types. Ex-overkill guitarist Bobby Gustafsson has emigrated to industrial workers' screw who are recording a new album for Metal Blade. Bobby has worked with Gripping, the abortive 1-4-NI project and the cycle sluts from hell since his departure from Overkill. And Brian Wheat and Frank Hannon, who were both still in Tesla last we heard, were recently spotted in a Sacramento bar playing in a Led Zeppelin covers band. Must have been one of those just for the fun of it things. We hope. Next up we have Lisa Johnson in LA. A slew of new videos have been made in LA in the past month. Alice in Chains, Rancid, The Presidents of the United States of America and Rocket from the Crypt have all filmed their promos in Tinseltown. Rocket from the Crypt conducted a midnight filming at the legendary Whiskey A Go Go on Sunset Strip. Their forthcoming new album's title, Scream Dracula Scream, is a reference to a line on the Wesley Willis album Mr. Magoo Goes to Jail, which also features a song about Rocket from the Crypt. It's due in January. Not that it's unusual, but Guns N' Roses' bassist Duff McKagan had a barbecue not long ago. Irish Lads, My Little Funhouse and Curb Dog were all there, along with Steve Jones. They all claimed that Duff's Guns N' Roses pinball machine was broken. Speaking of pinball machines, XG and our guitarist Gilby Clark is currently rehearsing for his new solo album. It's a little known fact that Gilby was instrumental in helping design the GNR pinball machine with fellow fret fiddler Slash. Down by Law who are currently enjoying a six-week European tour to support their most recent album, Punk Rock Academy Fight Song, actually already have a new record in the can, which is set for its January release on Ipataf. Incidentally, rummaging through a pile of newspapers, I found some old gig listings from 93, where future multi-millionaires Green Day were opening for Down By Law. So catch them at London, Highbury Garage, November 9th, Leicester Princess Charlotte 10th, Leeds Duchess of York 11th, Glasgow Cat House 12th, Birmingham Foundry 13th, Ask them to play Ivory Girl and they'll know you're a real fan. You haven't heard of them yet, but in about a year, watch out for Muzzle. This Seattle-based four-piece wowed them in LA, where I counted over half a dozen A&R heavies from Reprise, RCA, Epic, Capital, Atlas and Mercury, ready to pounce and sign. I can't really describe their music. Presidents of the USA meets Weezer doing Ramones covers, but I can tell you, Muzzle loved the muffs, and they performed the rousing cover of Twist Barbie, the classic from Japan's supreme girl trio Shonen Knife. Lastly this week in American news we have Kevin Roberts in Seattle. Pearl Jam are making plans to start up their own permanent radio station. Following the success of the nationwide broadcast of their self-pollution radio in January when MC Eddie and Co hijacked the airwaves of rock and indie stations across the USA for a marathon session which featured live sets from Pearl Jam, themselves as well as Mudhoney, Soundgarden and Mad Season. The band took the idea on the road with them. Before and after most shows on the Vitology tour, they broadcasted from their own pirate FM station to fans in the city where they were performing. And now they're seriously considering making the station Monkey Wrench Radio a permanent feature on the Radio Darwin Seattle. It's already been broadcasting on 89.1 FM, but with a radius of just 20 miles, so don't expect to be able to tune in. And according to a publicist for the band, once it's properly up and running, Pearl Jam hope it will encourage fans to go out and start up their own stations. In fact, 
Eddie Vedder is planning to produce a video guide covering all the major steps necessary in setting up a station, although having a few million in the bank and being the world's top rock act probably won't be among them. Mudhoney, Mad Season, Tad, Built to Spill, The Presidents of the United States of America and Love Battery all have live tracks featured on a new CD which will be released early next year. The songs were recorded live in a frenzy of live activity at one of Seattle's hippest clubs, the Crocodile Cafe, and will be released under the title Fight Back on January the 15th. Proceeds will go to Seattle Planned Parenthood and the Northwest AIDS Foundation. Next up in Kerrang, we are on location with Def Leppard. Def Leppard performed three gigs in three continents in just one day last week, and here's the full story of how it went, courtesy of our on-the-spot roving reporter, Leopard singer Joe Elliott. Arrive at Gatwick a bit late and dash into a sports shop to get a bag for all my stuff. I've got all my overnight gear in a plastic laundry bag, and it doesn't look very cool, so I get a 10-quid holder and stuff my gear in. Right, we should be in Morocco in 2 hours and 35 minutes. I'm now at the hotel in Morocco. It's nearly 5 o'clock and we've done loads of press on the flight on the way. Sav's bass hasn't turned up, so his guitar roadies scouring Morocco trying to find one. We found Sav an electric bass, couldn't find an acoustic one, and everything's okay. It's 5 minutes to the gig, more soon. Well, I'm hoarse as hell. We played a little set and it was a good laugh. We went on half an hour late because of a power failure. There were hundreds of people in this little room with just 4 candles for light. We encored with T-Rex's Get It On, which we'd never played before. I screwed up uh, when love and hate collide and a bit of hysteria because of my voice. I've had a bit of a cough for a few days, so it's an uphill struggle from here. Back at Gatwick for 7am. The worst part of the trip so far has been the driving the bus back to the hotel, which took two hours in the rush hour traffic. Had a quick sleep when we got to the hotel. That was a big mistake. The London gig was great, apart from Sam's acoustic bass not working. It was nice to see a few more fans, a good five or six hundred people. There was some good banter between us, now we have to pack for a nine and a half hour flight to Vancouver. I missed the films on the plane, but I didn't give a shit because I managed to sleep for six hours. Quick sound check and a few interviews and then we did the set in a different order. The audience was stunning. It was like Beatlemania with people moshing, moshing during our acoustic set. It's great to be back in America knowing that we can still be as valid as ever in 95. By the time we'd finished the set, I was so buzzing, I wasn't tired anymore. Me and my girlfriend stayed up all night and had some drinks and we're straight off to Singapore on a 22 hour flight tomorrow. Somehow, I'll lose a Wednesday because of it all. I want my Wednesday back. There's a good headline for you. Would I do it again? Yes. Would I do it again next week? No fucking way. It's been a great way to launch the Vault album and if we get into the record books then great. So be it. If not, then we're definitely the first band ever to have done what we've just done. And it feels great. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> You've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Lives, and the first review this week is for Therapy, supported by Vent and Understand at the Mayfair Newcastle on Tuesday, October 31st. This one is reviewed by Liam Shiles, and this one gets 5 out of 5. Hello, we're Understand. As it's Halloween and we're in Newcastle, this song goes out to Venom. All hardcore bands should have a sense of humour. It should be written into their contracts. Having one separates the likes of Understand from the likes of, well, you know who they are. Not that it's really accurate or fair to mark Understand down as hardcore anymore. They've outgrown that game. Dom Anderson's singing has improved tenfold, and they've got real pop songs now, with choruses and everything. They're still head-shatteringly potent pop songs, mind, but if you really tried, you could sing along to South End and on the blocks. The album is called Burning Bushes and Burning Bridges. It's out now. 
Buy it if you know what's good for you. Not many people seem to realise that Vince Singer guitarist is that bloke Miles Hunt from The Wonder Stuff. He looks different now. He used to be all cuddly in a shoulder length bob and tartan trousers way, but now he looks like a Buddhist. His new band is rather good though, angular, almost architectural indie rock with a full metal wallop, spikier than a desert cactus. It's a pity about the unfortunate rhyming slang potential of the geezer's name, they'll always get in with that. You can usually tell what a therapy gig is going to be like the instant you set eyes on Andy Kearns' face. When he marched up to his mic and proclaimed, we're therapy and we're taking no fucking prisoners at the Tea in the Park Festival back in August, you just knew it was going to be spectacular. Not the therapy do bad gigs anymore. They're either great or out of this world. For an instant tonight, as Ken stumbles on stage looking pissed or stoned or both, it looks like being the former. But as he and his cohorts make mincemeat out of epilepsy, it becomes clear we're in for another career topper. Bad Mother is next, then the stupendous isolation. Turn and everything else you expect them to play, and none of the things you'd really rather they didn't. Cairns looks devilish in his red Diablo shirt, but sadly Michael McKeegan is no longer garbed in that splendid quick fit fitters uniform he sported so manfully at Donington. Drummer Fife Ewing just looks the same, booting the crap out of his kit to bring up loose, by which time Andy has perked up no end, and McKeegan has given in to the urge to shout fan-fucking-tastic after every song. Go on then, we'll let him. 30 seconds eases the main set down into chaos until encores give the trio the chance to visit pastures old with Teeth Grinder before the inevitable twin headfirst dives of therapy into Screamager and McKagan into Crowd. Top that, no chance. Next up we have Super Suckers live at the Astoria 2 London on Wednesday, October 25th. This one is reviewed by Jason Arnop and he gives this a 5 out of 5. There's ZZ Top without the beards and much more balls. They're the Ramones in cowboy hats with a quarter of the back catalogue. They're the super suckers, and it seems that tonight, this town ain't big enough for them and any other band. While you would expect a still obscure outfit like this bunch to be playing the Camden Underworld or the Splash Club, the good old boys draw a fine crowd. Looks like a string of albums and a steady build-up has finally given new disc, sacrilegious, some good foundations to work on. It's the old story of a good band with a fistful of two to three minute punky rock and roll slams. They've only really got one song, but sweet Jesus, it's a good one. Yes, we love the Super Suckers tonight. Bad 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 opened both the new album and the affairs tonight, setting the agenda for the quartet's cheerful holocaust. Bizarrely, guitarist Ron Heathman is back with the boys now, having temporarily been replaced by ex-digits man Rick Sims. He's a sucker for this band is Ron. Yeehaw is a phrase that springs to mind at many a juncture during the in your face and out the back of your head set. It's a non-stop assault with few gaps between songs. The Super Suckers pause only to simultaneously raise their guitar neck skyward at the end of most songs and hammer away at them like mutated versions of the shadows. No encore, no bullshit, we have no complaints. The next review is for Korn, supported by Poor, live at the LA2 London, uh, Friday, October 27th. Reviewed by Morat, this one gets five out of five. When they're on form, Poor have such power that ex-Leatherface frontman Frankie Stubbs even named his new band after one of their songs, Jesse, the one about a dog. Tonight, however, they seem to trawl laboriously through a set that never quite gets going. Maybe it's the anticipation of seeing Korn for the first time and the knowledge that as raging catharsis goes, Poor aren't even in the same league as the headliners. But frankly, the evening improves when the Kansas slackers have finished. Korn are getting to be big news back home in the States and it's easy to see why. 
Pounding into life with fake, they deliver each track like they're dropping bricks from a 10th floor window, with an accuracy that is lethal for anyone standing below. Everything, including Jonathan Davis's bizarre vocals, is note perfect. Though, almost predictably, we get a completely unpredictable version of predictable. Corn are not easy listening. At times, they are a savage soundtrack for a 90s war dance. And when Davis plays the bagpipe introduction to Shoots and Ladders, he may as well be sending the audience into battle. This is fierce music for fierce times. And the only way to finish is with Faggot, a brutal machine gun rift assault on normality. And don't you feel better for getting that out of your system? Corn are a kill or cure remedy for life. Tonight, they kill. The next group reviewed is Impaled Nazarene, supported by Ved Buens Ende, Opeth, The Marionettes, and Hakata Enthroned. This one took place at the Astoria London on Tuesday, October the 31st, and is reviewed by Malcolm Dome. He gives this concert a 2 out of 5. Strangely, there was a higher proportion of attractive girls in the audience tonight than one might expect for an extreme metal gig. Perhaps it was the glamour of the face paint, or maybe the attraction of pure satanic evil for Halloween. It's just a shame that musically, this so-called Halloween mass turned out to be mostly disappointing. Openers, Hakata and Throne were ludicrous, adopting all the worst mannerisms of the black metal genre. The music was swamped by gloomy keyboards, the vocals growling yet inconsequential, the songs an inadequate blur, and their use of makeup was highly embarrassing. Just what the marionettes were doing on the bill was a mystery. A bluesier version of the cult, their attempt at mixing traditional goth rock with a more contemporary industrial edge was a complete failure, and a rather bemused audience responded by ignoring these plodding Brits. Drawing material from their Orchid album, Sweden's Opeth and their mixture of death metal and progressive rock brought to mind Florida Thrasher's Cynic. Musically, they were accomplished and adventurous, but all too often the songs were overlong and the lack of any personality within the band didn't endear them to an increasingly restive audience. Weird Norwegians, Red Bruins Ende, got the worst response, but were far and away the best band of the evening. They veered from ultra death metal through to doom, via jazz and operatic inflections and even hints of grunge. Numbers such as I Sang for the Swans, It's Magic and Autumn Leaves were awe-inspiring, with guitarist Vico Nick providing a constant gruelling attack. But the real star was vocalist C. Michael, a cross between Perry Farrell and Ozzy, and blessed with a soaring mournful voice. Perhaps a little too off the wall for a black metal night, but magnificent. If the best band of the night received the worst response, perhaps one might have expected the worst band to receive the best ovation, and so it happened for Finland's Impaled Nazarene. They had no songs, no genuine musical ability and little focus. Impaled Nazarene clearly thought they were projecting an evil aura through songs like Hate and Cyberchrist. It was just a stench of pathetic pomposity. The next review is for Stanford Prison Experiment live at LC Montmartre, Paris, um, on Tuesday, October 24th. This one, reviewed by Mimi, gets a 4 out of 5. Stanford Prison Experiment are rapidly becoming a band's band. Zach De La Rocha, Skunk Nancy, Jesus Lizard and Quicksand have been counted amongst their legion of admirers. The question is, can they transcend the hypnist factor and build up a strong grassroots following? Anyone on the receiving end of this frenzied performance would have to answer in the affirmative. These guys burn so much energy on stage that even a potentially disinterested crowd of Primus fans is keen to express its full approval here. Stanford Prison Experiment's whirlwind live performances are what has gained them a ticket to bigger and better things at a time when so many punk and underground rock bands are trying to scramble their way out of the confines of cult status. 
In avoiding the escapist bubblegum hardcore cliches of their native West Coast and choosing to work with producer Ted Nicely, Stanford refused to blend unnoticed into the LA background. From the helmet-esque touches of repeat removal and the quick sandiness of the immense Yoda Vulgarian, it's apparent that they have aligned themselves with the US East Coast sound. The idiosyncrasies, however, keep them above any accusations of Fagazi wannabeism. First exposure to Stanford Prison Experiment can leave you wondering if they sound a little thin. Having only three musicians aside from singer Mario Jimenez seems to keep them on their toes and draws a few perverse digressions out of Mike Starkey's fretboard. The vocalist is thrust into the foreground but basking John Lydon-like in the spotlight's glare, he's well able to handle, is that hog, all the attention. Mario has a weird insectoid way of moving that reaches a climax of oddness during a mind-melting rendition of Cansado. The band are sounding for all the world like a record that's stuck. Mario is hopping repeatedly into the air and uninitiated members of the audience are questioning their sanity. Don't know what that was all about, they're probably thinking I'm French, but it ain't something you see every day. Certainly not. We now come to this week's cover stars, Ozzy Osbourne and Burton C. Bell from Fear Factory. Interview with the Vampire. Well, Ozzy Osbourne did once bite the head off a bat. In 95, he's leaner, meaner, sober and back on the road with hot US noise nicks Fear Factory supporting. Factory frontman Burton C. Bell interviews the 00 exclusively for Kerrang! as Stefan Trazzi listens in. Fear Factory's Burton C. Bell before starting this interview with Ozzy Osbourne. I'm kind of nervous because I'm not a journalist. Ozzy Osbourne, don't worry, neither am I. Sat in the back of Fear Factory's tour bus with Burton C. Bell while Ozzy Osbourne turned another packed amphitheatre inside out. Burton was nervous but excited. He would, in less than two hours, interview the man who has given Fear Factory a supporting slot throughout America and Europe on the first leg of his Osmosis tour. Osborne's track record for helping younger artists is stunning. Try Motley Crue and Metallica for starters, and then add the likes of Alice in Chains for good measure, and now Fear Factory. You get the picture. Burton looked over the topics Kerrang had suggested he go over with Ozzy, quietly saying that he kind of prefers to just chat. So what did we tell him? Go for it. Ask away. Chat yourself silly. But remember that even though Ozzy is older than you, has hordes of platinum albums and was a founding father of one of the world's most influential metal bands, you and he are now peers. Talk singing and stuff, get into it, get comfortable. And you know what? Burton, as you'll read, pulled it off. Despite his pre-match nerves, he quickly settled down and put in a fine performance. Here's how the meeting between two front men, one a legend and one a vital young buck went down. Burton, are you glad to be out of retirement? Aussie. Well, I never really went into retirement as such. I mean, I'm always making these stupid, dumb fucking statements and then I wonder, what the fuck did I say that for? I got to this point on the last tour where I didn't want to be a mouse on the wheel. I wanted to know what it was like to be off, to not be living on a schedule. I did the No More Tears tour and then I wondered, what the fuck do I do now? What is retirement? I mean, Bob Hope ain't fucking retired and he's 90 fucking four or something. It's not a job you can retire from. Burton. Right, you can't retire art. Aussie. I mean, if you do a job that you hate and you're miserable in it and you hate the paycheck and you go home to a miserable existence, then I understand people saying, 10 more years and I'm fucking out of here. But in all reality, how can you retire from a job that isn't a job? I don't think there's a better way to make a living by doing something I love, seeing people happy and getting paid for it. I ask for too much and there's a phrase that says, don't ask for too much because sometimes you'll get it. But I had to take that route just to see, otherwise for the rest of my life, I'd have been bitter. I hadn't tried taking uh, time off. 
Now I've gone for it, I'll never do it again. Burton. So you didn't call it retirement then? Aussie. Well, I'm always fucking complaining. I always want what I can't have. When it's black, it's white. When I'm on the road, I want to be off the road. So I'm an awkward fucker. I'm saying to my wife, Sharon, who also manages Aussie, it's alright for you. You can buy these clothes and cars and houses and I never get to be in the fucking houses. I bitch and moan about it. So she says, fine. And the next thing I know, I'm on the retirement tour and thinking, oh shit, what have you done now? So I'm suddenly retired and I don't feel any fucking different. My father retired and he died. That guy from Blind Melon retired last week. Burton. Yeah, that was sad. I was friends with him. Aussie. I feel sorry for the poor guy. Burton. Yeah, we hung out together in Hollywood before either of us had a record deal. Aussie. It happens every day. And there, but for the grace of God, go I. I'm no angel and I'm not going to start preaching that anybody's wrong. But I'm a survivor, man. I've been through deaths, births, funerals, fucking everything. Burton. Is death the only retirement? Aussie. Well, it's the only retirement from this fucking life. We're lucky. I wanted to become a rock and roll performer because I love the whole vibe. I love being in the midst of the craziness. It's better than sex or drugs. There's nothing better than a good gig and nothing worse than a bad gig. Burton. Aside from the bronchitis, are you enjoying this tour? I watch the show pretty much every night and I love seeing how the crowd get off on you. Aussie. The problem I'm having is that when we went to South America, we all got this fucking bug. As you know, being a singer, they never give you the time to get over a cold or whatever because you can't take the time off. I went to my doctor in New York and he said, take three weeks off. And I said, doc, babe, if I take three weeks off, then I'm dead. And you know what did it? You know what gave me the cold in the first fucking place? I was doing great shows in South America, came back to LA, did the video, and went off to Japan for a promotional trip. And when you get off the plane in Japan, you could set the world clock by those fuckers. Then I flew to France, then Germany, then Canada. I said to Sharon, I don't know my ass from my elbow. I don't know if I'm a rock and roll performer or a traveling salesman. That was it. I was fucked. Burton. I hate doing that too. And the schedule for interviews can get so intense. Aussie. I said to Sharon, let's minimize it. They all ask me the same fucking questions. Every single one. So why not just have a huge conference? We try it and they still want one-on-one. Burton. It must be great playing with Giza, ex-Black Sabbath bassist, now in Ozzy's band again. Ozzy, oh yeah, we go back a long way, me and him, since before Sabbath. He's a great guy. Burton, and a great bass player. Ozzy, the fucking best bass player. He's like the Paul McCartney in metal. In the old days, he was one of the pioneers in terms of playing without a plectrum. He'd come off stage with bleeding fingers because he waxed them strings. Burton, he's all over the strings, especially on those Sabbath songs. Ozzy, he's also an incredible lyricist. Not many people know that he wrote 90% of the lyrics for Sabbath. I'll never forget when he wrote the lyrics for Spiral Architect. I was on the phone and I asked him if he had the lyrics for me to sing yet. He says to me, got a pen. He started off, sorcerers of madness, selling me their time. Child of God sitting in the sun, giving peace of mind. Fictional seduction in a black snow sky. Sadness killed the Superman, even father's cry. And I go, you're fucking reading this out of a book. You're joking. My mouth dropped open. Burton. I was with him for two weeks in New England for the Geezer thing, the brutal side band put together by Geezer and featuring Burton on vocals, and he pretty much let me go with uh, doing what I was doing. I'd say I was going to do it a certain way, and he'd just say, all right then, then he might suggest, why not try it this way? He is introverted, but he's very thorough. He has a certain systematic way of doing things. Burton. Do you feel the insanity of the road? Aussie. It's an addiction in itself. Once you get the bug, it never leaves you. When you go on a stage and you can feel that energy off that audience, there's nothing like it. You can't buy it, drink it, smoke it, or fuck it. It's a feeling. 
You feel like king of the night when it's going well, and I still never come off a stage 100% happy. Burton, when you finish an album, do you think I could have done this or that? Ozzy, I guarantee that after every record I've gone, shit, shit, you motherfucking asshole. Why didn't you put that verse there instead of there? I'm nuts. When I'm recording an album, I'm not a nice person to be with. People have asked me, how do you feel about osmosis? And what can you say? I usually go for, no one's ever gone into a studio thinking that after having so many hit records, they're going to make the biggest crock of shit they can. Burton, how comfortable is it having this legendary status and still going so strongly? Aussie, the beauty of uh, longevity is that you don't have to work quite so hard because everyone knows the fucking words of your songs. Burton, that's one thing I would like to have eventually. Aussie, all I can say is, if you truly believe in what you do, don't listen to any fucker and hang in there. Burton, can boozing and drugs ruin a career for an artist? Aussie, put it this way, I've been in this business from 1968 to 1995, and booze, drugs and women in that order have ruined more careers than the two world wars. Burton, do you consider yourself a veteran? Aussie, well, I certainly ain't a newcomer. Burton, do you have any regrets? Aussie, we all do. But if I could go back and change them, I wouldn't be here now. I think your destiny is mapped out before you. I mean, how come Randy Rhodes got killed and I didn't? I was a high-flying cocaine user and he wasn't. Yeah, he got killed. How come a guy can jump out of a plane, his parachute don't open, yet he gets caught by a tree, but the next day, he gets run over by a bus? Burton. What does John Osborne, Ozzy's real name, want out of life? Ozzy. I don't know. Just to continue to do what I do. John Osborne doesn't exist anymore. Nobody calls me that anymore, not my wife, not the kids. I mean, if someone were to shout John at me in the street, I wouldn't think they were talking to me. I'd like to get into painting more, I suppose. I do paint a little now in the sketch, but that's just to get my head out of my ass. Burton, what else can Ozzy do? Ozzy, keep on making good records. Every record I've ever made has a story behind it. When I hear the Sabbath albums, there's a story behind each one. Not in the songs, but in the people and places of the time. That first Black Sabbath album was done in 12 hours, right? On two four-track machines. And guitar legend Steve Weiss says to me once that on the B-side of the first Sabbath record, the bass is out of tune for the entire side. I said to him, you know what Steve, it still sells today, so who gives a rat's ass? If people are still singing your songs 25 years later, then you must have done something right. Burton, there's lots of bands out there who imitate Black Sabbath these days. Ozzy, and that's an honour, it really is. But there's one band who hasn't got it right yet and that is Black Sabbath. They're making themselves into a fucking joke. I mean, I don't wish Tony Iommi any harm. I don't wish any of them any harm, but you just wonder why. And with that, the interview winds down to a close. Burton, a slightly wiser man and relieved that this Kerrang encounter went hitch free. Fear Factory are one of the hottest bands of 95, while Ozzy, on this tour at least, has proved that he is truly still a monster of rock. The next time they hold court together, they'll be in your neck of the woods. Don't miss it. Feedback and the letter of the week this week begins. It is about 3.15pm on Sunday, October 22nd. A date that will stay in my mind forever. I've just found out that Blind Men and singer Shannon Hoon is dead. I really can't describe how sad I feel, but I felt I had to write in and say something. I was on holiday in Spain when the great Kurt Cobain died, and it was relatively easy for me to cope when I found out. This, however, is so different. I was as big a fan of Blind Melon as you could find, and now I at last understand why so many people felt the way they did after Kurt died. My condolences go out to Shannon's family, his girlfriend and child, Rogers, 
Christopher, Glenn and Brad, and all my fellow Blind Melon fans. Now as I open my eyes to start another day, and my feet are so cold, and I can't believe that I have to bang my head against this wall again, but the blows they have just a little more space in between them, going to take a breath and try and try again. Walk. Thank you and goodbye Shannon. Richard Turner, Chesterfield. This is just one of a large number of letters regarding Shannon Hoon's sad death. Editor. I'm writing to express my disgust at the shoddy treatment received by Skyclad in your magazine. Why, for example, didn't you review a single gig from their latest tour? Too busy listening to your Bon Jovi albums, I suppose. For a magazine that claims to support British rock and metal bands, you don't seem to be doing a lot of it. From where I'm standing, or did that mean only ones that get into the top 40? There are a lot of devoted Skyclad fans out there, and frankly, one review a year just isn't enough. Martin Walker and Skyclad have got the guts to try and do something different without pandering to the latest hype from America, and you should be applauding the fact rather than ignoring it. Jonathan Sell, Rochester. This is aimed at John Garcia's shoe, Kareng 569. Let me tell you, Skunk and Anti rock. They're new, exciting, and like nothing or no one else. Skin is saying bollocks to stereotypes, sexism, racism, and homophobia. They're making a moral stand. Paranoid and sunburnt is a revolution, and I think a lot of other people agree with me. Skin is leading the way for women everywhere to stand up and be counted. Keep doing it. Skin's middle finger stains. Fuck me, that was one excellent gig last night. I refer, of course, to the Wild Hearts at Manchester Academy. They played a most stunning set, crammed with amazing songs. It was definitely worth being crushed and kicked to death. The highest point of an extremely high night simply had to be when Ginger announced the following immortal words. We're keeping the band together, well knock me down with a feather, but that's the best news I've had in ages. Keep it alive fellas, and let's have tons more gigs like last night's because it was the best, and I do mean the best. Yvonne Powell, Banbury. Cheers for the rare tape, it's well cool. It's about time we got good freebies, I can't wait for the iron on thingies, long live Kerrang freebies. Herbert McGubbelagin, Basingstoke. Can you please tell me why you are putting shitty bands in the magazines such as Reef, Stone Temple Pilots and Smashing Pumpkins? You should have more of the cooler and harder bands such as Pantera, Machine Head, Slayer and Body Count in the magazine as people don't want happy stuff, they want aggression. Do something about it. Lee Wickford. Loved Wolfsbane, loved Melodic Maiden, hate Bailey and Maiden. The X Factor is Fear of the Dark Mark II, i.e. outtakes not considered strong enough for Bruce's last stand. Give it up. Harry, you're flogging a dead horse. Never mind, there's a new Hawkwind album due. Reality, you can rely on. Robert Calvert's Ghost, Clacton on Sea. Ill communication. The posters in this week's Kerrang! are excellent. They are of Alice in Chains' Grind album, One Hot Minute Red Hot Chili Peppers, Angel Interceptor single Ash, and Ball Breaker by ACDC. None of these posters made it to my wall, but that doesn't matter. Earth versus the Mild Hearts. No tantrums, no bullshit, no ginger. Mellow ex Wild Hearts men CJ and Willie are doing things their way with Honeycrack. Liz Evans hits the road with Britain's hottest new band. It's Wednesday night in Nottingham and veteran rock maestro Peter Frampton is attempting to come alive at Rock City. Do we care? No, not really. Frampton bears little relevance to Britain's increasingly vibrant and multi-faceted Roxy. And Honeycrack's high energy performance at the rig, a new venue beneath Roxy, illuminates this fact to a blinding degree. Honeycrack epitomised the current state of play within British rock culture. Upbeat, positive and free of cliches, they thrive on dynamics 
drawn from different cultures, varied temperaments and a wide range of musical influences with a snap, crackle and plenty of pop, they strike a new beat and it's one which is about to make them a force to be reckoned with. Take Honeycrack's current single for instance, neatly titled Sitting at Home. It deals a big finger to all the sad losers who feel compelled to flit around nightclubs, getting smashed and trying to get laid. It proudly declares the joys of chilling out in your own domain. For far too long we've bought into this idea that the only true autonomy lies in being a rebel 24 hours a day, taking endless amounts of drugs and singing about it, explained Willie Dowling, one of Honeycrack's vocalists and guitarists, and currently the band's main songwriter. And while I'll be the first to admit there is a place for that, it's not the whole picture. Sitting at home is about being comfortable with yourself, with your own environment and not needing a set of dictated criteria. Having someone tell you how to be a rebel is a bullshit notion. Willie should know. Together with fellow Honeycrack vocalist guitarist CJ, he used to be a wild heart, which gave him plenty of opportunity to witness the cliches of the rock scene. In fact, CJ's reluctance to fling himself into a mindlessly impersonal sex and drugs and rock and roll existence were one of the factors which initiated his departure from Ginger's band. What I wanted most of all was to be left alone and to get on with my shit, he says. Now, I felt um, there was too much of a cross between what I was doing in my own free time and what the band were doing. I don't mean that when I go home I turn into a gardener or start reading cookbooks either. You make where you live into what you want it to be. And where I live, I have a great time. My friends come round and we chill out. It isn't boring at all. With Honeycrack, there is no pressure to act out a rock and roll fast. Everyone is a law unto themselves. Everyone lives and lets live. And everyone is happy and relaxed. Even Willie's propensity for bleak moves and introspection, which earns him the title of Laughing Cavalier, and drummer Hugo's comically bizarre and unpredictable bouts of aggression are genially accommodated. All of which means that hanging out with Honeycrack is a good deal less boring than hanging out with a band who feel bound to obey the rebel law. Tucked into a van with their highly entertaining road crew, CJ, Willie and the rest of Honeycrack, Maniac uh, drummer Hugo, permanently stone guitarist vocalist Mark McRae, and charismatic vocalist bassist Pete Clark are currently slogging around the UK to promote the aforementioned single. After Nottingham's gig, they mingle with a small but hungry crowd who ply them for autographs before retreating into a dressing room full of cans of red stripe and sweaty towels. It's 5am before anyone decides it's time for bed. After a cafe breakfast the next day, we hit the M1 by half past two. Predator 2 is grinding away on the video. We reach Northampton after an hour or so where Honeycrack deliver another sparkling set at the Roadmender later on. The band's sheer pleasure in what they do infects the crowd like a virus, and once more, backstage is a happy place to be. Back at the Weststone Hotel, the alcoholic and herbal consumption continues, and beds aren't reached before 5 o'clock once again. At this stage in their career, two singles out and an album in the wings, Honeycrack know they have a way to go. They still haven't got past the Wild Hearts hurdles, although they're felling them with each gig. It's probably a simple matter of setting the record straight before they can shake off the associations altogether. Says Willie, I have noticed favourable reviews mentioning our influences and it rises in my throat a little because I was involved with the first Wild Hearts tape before they were even called the Wild Hearts. From a songwriting perspective, I would suggest that Ginger's influences are similar to mine. It's got nothing to do with us drawing from the Wild Hearts, it's that we both draw from similar things, the Beatles and Melody. Ginger was the first person who I played the Honeycrack tape to once we finished it and he was totally supportive, as I kind of expected him to be. Had he had anything negative to say about it, I suspect I might have been suspicious of his motivation. But he's a bigger man than that. When the chips are down, we have a very good relationship and Ginger and CJ have a very good relationship too, although from a distance. 
Willie admits that the Wild Hearts connection helped Honeycrack reach the notice of record companies, but is understandably sensitive about assumptions concerning the subject matter of his songs. So for the record, neither King of Misery, Honeycrack's first single, nor Sitting at Home are about Ginger. We're always going to get that though, says CJ, and I say, if the cap fits, wear it. I've hit a peak in my life, he chirps. It's taken me years to get here, but it's going to get better. Whichever way you look at it though, there is so much more to Honeycrack than their past, which is beginning to pale in comparison. They are all about the future and breaking down barriers. They sum up the way forward with a vital message. Forget rules, forget orthodox methods of rebellion and celebrate the cult of individuality. It's the only way to go. There are no singles reviewed in Kerrang! this week, so let's move on to albums. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. Albums, and the first album reviewed this week is entitled Singles by Nirvana. Um, This one is reviewed by Paul Elliott, and this one gets 4Ks. Two months till Christmas and what's this? Nirvana's greatest hits. Well, yes and no. Yes, this singles package does contain all Nirvana's best-known tunes, but no, it's not the obvious cash-in that might have been expected. This collection simply gathers up the four singles from the Breakthrough Nevermind album plus both singles from the follow-up In Utero. The six CDs are unfussily presented in a cardboard sleeve. No accompanying booklet, no notes, just the music. However, the inlay for Lithium does feature the complete lyrics to the whole of Nevermind. At last, you can find out exactly what Kurt was howling on Smells Like Teen Spirit. Load up on guns and bring your friends is its resonating first line. Every Nirvana uh, fan on the planet will already have the six hit songs here. But these are not the real incentive for buying this set. It's the extra tracks on these singles that will have Nirvana addicts desperately scraping together the £25 asking price. Or looking hopefully at their Christmas stocking for a bold shape suspiciously like a box that's got six CD singles in it. Nine of these tracks are unavailable on the album. The sleeve claims that the number of non-LP tracks is 11, but aneurysm was included on the incesticide collection, while Endless Nameless is the famous unlisted noise tagged on the end of Nevermind. Most of the rare tracks are predictably messy live recordings, but four are studio takes, from the rock single of the 90s teen spirit, as if you didn't know, comes even in his youth, a lo-fi garage grunge jerk out, with a mud honey vibe and a somewhat ironic line about a waster who kept his body clean. Back in lithium is curmudgeon, a heaving queasy sounding swirl of spaced out sludge rock. The heart shaped box single features Marigold, a slow strum mellow track written and sung by Dave Grohl. It's sweet enough but Marigold isn't the kind of tune that would have Grohl hailed as a songwriting genius. That would come later with the Foo Fighters. The last of the four is Moist Vagina from All Apologies. It's one of Kurt's little fuck you numbers. Sort of tuneless, sort of aimless, but the kind of thing Kurt just had to get out of his system once in a while. As such, it's interesting, if not exactly electrifying. And the singles themselves, they sound more beautiful than ever. Cobain was one of Rock's greatest ever songwriters. Everybody knows that. Listen to these songs again. 18 months after Kurt ended it all and his loss seems ever more acute. The first and last of these singles say everything about Kurt's genius. The first is Teen Spirit. It will always send a chill down your spine. The last is All Apologies, a song as delicate as Teen Spirit is thunderous. You can question the ethics of reassuring these singles in a neat little pack at peak selling time, but nobody could say that Nirvana didn't make great singles. 
The next album reviewed is Burning Bushes and Burning Bridges by Understand. Reviewed by Meany, this one gets 4Ks. Any half-decent, homegrown hardcore band tends to attract publicity and excess of status and runs the risk of drowning in hype. Last year it seemed that this sorry fate might await Understand. Average age hovering around the 21 mark, a major deal in the bag, next to no studio experience, big tour support slots alienating them from their natural fan base. Their predicament, distinctly curb dog like Understand could have so easily cobbled together a half-hearted debut album and disappeared in a puff of smoke. Wisely, the Essex Quintet chose to bide their time, put some serious songwriting hours in and sorted out the wheat from the chaff. Frontman Dom Anderson has learnt to sing and they've now re-emerged as serious contenders. Last year's Understand EP recorded with legendary New York hardcore producer Don Fury in his modest studio was something of a growing up lesson for the band as it missed the mark by a mile. You can follow in the footsteps of your hardcore heroes but it won't necessarily bring the desired results. Producer Chris Sheldon, responsible for the colossal sound of Therapy's Trouble Gum, has shown a much more sympathetic ear and proven himself the ideal man for this job, rendering Understand squeaky clean, tight-ass referee into sharp focus without surrendering the overall clout. There was never any doubt that Understand can play. They have a lexicon of spiky guitar textures and fidgety rhythms that would outdo many a Washington DC specialist, but like their East Coast brethren, they have previously been a little stingy in the hooks department. Not here. Burning Bushes and Burning Bridges contains a few genuine stormers. They copped a few lessons from Paige Hamilton on tour. Open a Bogdan is a perfect Helmy for Gazzy fusion, and the raddest part of the whole LP is when it breaks down to a crackle before slamming back in. South End, an essay on their hometown, is a big fat, almost Alice in Chainsy potential chartbuster of a tune, while Fleeced and Felched is a humongous driving number, inspired by visits to motorway service stations, so they say. The rudeness we encounter is motivated by an equally hideous tussle with reality. Like everything on burning bushes, it kicks ass most satisfactorily. Next we have Come Together by Various. Reviewed by Liam Charles, this gets 4Ks. It had to happen really. There's just too much going on in Brit Rock circa 95 for somebody not to commemorate the whole shebang by putting a dozen of its archest proponents onto a single album. And all credit to humble little cottage industry for having the insight and the guts to make it happen. Dispensing with the crap first, there isn't any. Yes, Toby Jepsen, Carcass, Cancer and Blow all have some nefarious skeletons in their musical closets but they're all worthy of our attention today because they've all thrown off the shackles of their traditional disciplines and are forging bravely ahead into what is, for them, new territory. Whatever's 10 good reasons actually sounds more like fellow punk some Geordie's China drum than Stiddy's old mates in the Wild Hearts, whose two-called sub-two-minute blast sin in sin is a reminder of their brief liaison with Census Things Mark Heads. Also riding on the punk, pop, metal, whatever bus are Tamworth Teaser's Stretch, their merry-go-round is as snottily switched on and gleefully pointless as we'd expect from a band that has the casual genius to cover live the greatest song ever written, namely The Who's Can't Explain. Flying the flag for the worthier traditions of metal are Cathedral and Paradise Lost, though again, with none of the silliness that we might have expected from their ancestors. Vampire Sun is one of the Carnival Bazaar's many highlights, while Paradise Lost's version of Walk Away sounds exactly how you'd expect Paradise Lost covering a Sister of Mercy tune to sound. 
Stum's postmodern is intense, angular, unconventional and unexpectedly good, whereas apes, pigs and spacemen play with more orthodox concepts of melody, shovel in spadefuls of crunch and a clever lyric and come up with taking out uh, sorrow swimming, which appears to be about, well, smoking dope really. An activity probably not alien to Headswim, whose beautifully sullen years on me could almost have been lifted from the Beatles' rubber soul and could be the best Lennon-McCartney song that Lennon and McCartney didn't write. So no duffers and smiles all round. Line come together up next to the rare compilation your old pals at Kerrang bunged you the other week and you've pretty much got the state of play as rock music, both homegrown and the world over, moves into the next millennium. A couple of shorter album reviews now, in brief. So the first album is The Goops by The Goops and this one is reviewed by Paul Rees and this gets 3Ks. The Goops are the next name on a New York roll call that's taken in the studios, the New York Dolls and Patti Smith. Their debut sounds like a homage to all three. They are met Iggy being self-explanatory, Booze Cabana coming on like the Dolls' first LP and vocalist Eleonora perfecting Smith's Switchblade Howl. There's more than enough here to keep you interested. The Streets of San Francisco by The Swinging Utters. Reviewed by Morat, this one gets 3Ks. Reviewed sometime back on import with the benefit of hindsight, this still gets 3Ks. There are some fine tunes here, but there's a dated feel to the album, and not simply because punk is close to celebrating its 20th birthday. Lars Fredrickson produced adds a hint of rancid and naturally the clash to the 80s UK punk vibe, but Swinging Utters are far better live with a beer inside you. The last word, the ultimate questions on life, sex and death. This week, Clawfinger head rapper Zach Tell is probed by Morat. Last time you travelled by public transport. Yesterday evening, if the weather's good enough, I go by mountain bike, but otherwise I'll use the underground. Last time you got drunk. Sunday, I wasn't crawling around the floor, but I could feel that I was in a good mood. I wasn't exactly walking straight, but I wasn't out of my head. Last time you sent a postcard. I don't know, about a week ago. I like writing letters and the occasional postcard. Last time you went inside a church. When we played the Bazaar Festival in Germany, there was a church right next to the hotel. Sometimes on tour when there's a day off, there's nothing better to do. I'll go inside the church and have a look. I'm not a Satanist or anything. I don't refuse to go into churches, but I've never been to pray in a church. Last time you did something embarrassing on stage. Basically, going up on stage is embarrassing. I like to spit water everywhere, and a lot of times it ends up with me lying on the floor because it gets very slippery. You slip and land on your back, and you have to try and look really cool at the same time. Last time you got in a fight, I can't even remember. I've been in a lot of verbal fights, screaming fights, and I've got beaten up a bunch of times, but I've never started a physical fight. Verbal fights happen all the time when you're in a band. Last time you bought an item of clothing, about two weeks ago, I bought a pair of trousers for 15 quid. It seemed like a reasonable price. Last time you watched a film. I saw half a film this morning. I haven't seen the other half yet. It was a film called Europa. The guys who made our Do What I Say video took quite a few ideas from that film, so I was interested in seeing it. I could see a lot of things that were similar. Last time you were mistaken for an American. I don't know if that's ever happened to me. Some people just say I have a funny accent and aren't you sure where I'm from? Last time you said something you regretted. I don't know, you always say lots of stupid things. It's all part of being human. Everybody says shit they regret. I can't remember the last time because it happened too often. Last time you stayed up all night. Quite a while ago. I stay up until three or four often, but that's just the routine you get from being in the band. 
I like seeing sunrises, but I've never bothered to stay up to see one. Last time you wanted something you couldn't have. It's a typical thing for us as human beings. We always want more than we can have. However, much money or how many material things you've got, you always want more. You want things you can't have all the time. You always want more. Last time you read a book. Actually, I'm finishing off the rotten book. No Blacks, No Dogs, No Irish by Sex Pistols frontman Johnny Rotten. I think it was fun to read, but you can never tell if the author is exaggerating. I enjoyed it because I enjoyed the Sex Pistols, but I guess it's pretty depressing. Too many drugs and a guy that apparently just cared for himself, Malcolm McLaren. Last time you threw up. Ages ago, I very rarely throw up, whether I'm very sick or very drunk or whatever. The last time I can remember is when I went to an Indian restaurant and ate prawns and then threw up all evening. Last time you had to deal with authority. The last time I remember was when we were in Madrid and we needed some sort of stamp for our passports. We found out about half an hour before the plane left, so we had to rush to the embassy and get the stamp. That was a real pain in the ass. Last time you voted. Last election, which was about a year ago. Somehow, if you don't vote at all, then you're giving your vote to the opposition. Last time you gave money to charity. I don't know, if there's someone standing in the centre of Stockholm with an amnesty collection box, then I'll stick some coins in, but that's about it. If it's Greenpeace or Amnesty or something that makes sense, then I'll pull out a few small coins, which are basically just making my trousers heavier. Last time you went to a gig. The last one I can think of was the Monsters of Rock in South America. We got to see Therapy, Ozzy Osbourne, Faith No More, Paradise Lost, Megadeth and Alice Cooper. Basically, it was our own gig as well, but after we opened the thing, we got to see the other bands. The problem now is that I'm not home very much, but if there's a good band playing, then I'll go and see them. How long can you last? as long as I have lust. Charts and the number one album this week is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by Smashing Pumpkins. Number one in the singles chart is Heaven for Everyone by Queen and number one in the indie LPs is Transfusion by Apes, Pigs and Spacemen. The reader's top 10 this week comes from Tim Collins from Essex. His chart begins one, Ugly Life of Agony, two, Demanufacture, Fear Factory, Three One Hot Minute Red Hot Chili Peppers. Four Insomniac Green Day. Five Pumpkin Drublet No Effect. Six How Can I Laugh Today? Suicidal Tendencies. Seven And Out Come the Walls Rancid. Eight Biohazard Biohazard. Nine Music for the Jilted Generation Prodigy. And ten Gangsters Paradise Coolio. Star Treks this week are courtesy of John Connor of Dog Eat Dog. His chart is one Greatest Hits Johnny Cash. Two All The Way Live Urban Blight. Three Time Will Tell Bob Marley. Four Ten Upper Street Big Audio Dynamite and five cemetery confinement by down but not out next week in kerrang back issues smashing pumpkins are this band on another planet no but the only interview you can read with them is in next week's kerrang three the world's first rock scratch cards white zombie what would they spend 50 quid on live skid row bon jovi iron maiden life of agony and loads more gigs reviewed alice in chains why are these men in drag? Thank you so much for reading and listening. <laughs> definitely listening and definitely not reading. I'm the one that's been doing the reading. I don't know why I said that. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday as usual. Thank you so much for listening. Look after yourselves and bye for now. <laughs>